It's no accident that the car ramming took place. It's domestic terror. Very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I saw the same pictures as you did. I've never seen so much hatred in the eyes of my fellow human beings in my life. We have overcome a lot in our democracy. We've overcome McCarthyism, we've overcome segregation, and we're going to overcome this. And I think we are having a huge debate right now around what's the difference between free speech and hate speech. Welcome back to Overcoming Extremism. I'm Mike Signer. I was the mayor of Charlottesville, Virginia during the Unite the Right rally in August 2017. Overcoming Extremism is a journey into the heart of American democracy as we explore together how democracy can overcome extremism in a challenging new era. We are sitting down with folks who have dealt with extremism firsthand. Mayors, prosecutors, faith leaders, activists, journalists. Together, their stories provide important clues to how democracy can and must rise to this challenge. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Overcoming extremism is going to require leadership from not only the public sector, but from the private sector as well, from companies and especially from tech companies. We first met Ifoma Azoma, who is the public policy and social impact manager at Pinterest, the very popular internet site, when we were doing research on companies that were really taking on extremism. Pinterest came to the top of this list. Pinterest has decided to do basically everything they can to make their platform safe for all their users, safe from hate, safe from conspiracy theories, safe from dangerous medical misinformation, and safe from extremism. In the process, Ifoma herself has been targeted by these forces. One goal of this podcast is to share lessons from leaders with leaders for their own work against extremism. That's why I was most interested to learn in this interview about just how intentional and strategic Pinterest's anti-extremism work is. As you'll hear, it doesn't just happen on its own. It takes protocols and teams and follow-through and help from users. That's just the kind of work that was required to remove spam and pornography from our inboxes. So progress is possible. Ifoma, I wanted to begin this conversation just by asking you, for those who don't know and those who aren't addicted to the platform already, what Pinterest does. Yeah, we are a visual discovery engine and we're used by over 300 million people globally. And people really come to our platform for inspiration, whether it's a party they're planning for their child or a nursery or recipe inspiration, which many people know us for, um, or even planning a new career. People come to our platform to get ideas and to save ideas for themselves. And as it relates to extremism, 
We know from other platforms that visual imagery, whether they're photos or videos, are one of the ways that people share and spread hateful ideologies and promote hateful activities. And for us, that's unacceptable on our platform because hate is not inspiring. Most platforms were not designed with hateful activities as the focus or the purpose of the platform. We know that people who are interested in those activities and in those ideologies have found safe places online. And our goal is to never allow Pinterest to be a safe place for hate and extremism. So what are the nuts and bolts of how how this works? If someone starts putting up neo-Nazi content on Pinterest, how do you spot it? What do you do about it? If I'm a Pinterest user, what, what do I do? So for every piece of content that we have on the platform, whether it's a pin or a board, you're able as a Pinterest user, as a pinner, we like to call them, to report the content. And we address all of those reports. And so the team that I'm on, public policy, I work closely, very closely with trust and safety and our content policy teams and they let us know what they're seeing as far as trends. So we saw a rise in anti-immigrant rhetoric and anti-immigrant memes that were directed at certain populations. Much of that came through user reports. In addition, we work with outside groups who are able to tell us, hey, we happen to see this is anti-Muslim group on your platform. They have a presence, did you know? There are experts at places like the Leadership Conference or at the ADL and at SPLC and Muslim Advocates. And we have, since I joined, done much more to reach out to those organizations and get their input because, as I said, we we take an iterative approach to our policies. And that's the way that we're incorporating prevention so that we're not in a situation where other platforms have seen themselves in, where they do really become havens for this hateful activity. So I was thinking about someone who works at or runs a tech company who's just started to think about how they'll develop their own policy to prevent extremists from going on the site. So I wanted to ask Ifoma, what honest advice would she give someone else based on Pinterest's own experiences? My advice, first and foremost, would be to reach out to experts. There are so many outside groups who want to help and often are shown the door by platforms, and we would all benefit from going to them and asking for guidance, and then not just asking for feedback and then never incorporating it, but actually having an open-door policy so that they understand the kinds of challenges that we have as platforms We have over 300 million people using our platform globally. We're much smaller than than peer platforms, but that's still a lot of content. And so organizations don't always understand the scale at which we're addressing these things. And making sure that there are open lines of communication, I think, is better for both us as a platform and them as organizations so that we can all work on the best ways to incorporate their advice and they can fine tune some of the feedback they provide per platform because we're also all different and serve different purposes.
I'd read an article on the news site The Verge that praised Pinterest's approach to preventing extremism on the site and that quoted IFOMA as saying, quote, it's better not to serve those results than to lead people down a recommendation rabbit hole. This is really different from the approaches of other companies who seek kind of the opposite, to have their users go down those very rabbit holes. Pinterest instead wanted to re-engineer its search engine to stop this from ever starting. I knew they'd taken this approach to anti-vaccine conspiracy theorists who had started to infect the site. So I asked Ifoma how this new approach was going. That article, uh, we actually announced yesterday. We launched the next step in our vaccine misinformation approach and our goal of connecting people with reliable information from public health experts. And so I'm glad you mentioned it. And for us, we see our responsibility first and foremost to the people who use our platform, our pinners. But in addition, we would like to be an example to other platforms that there are more creative approaches that can be taken And for us, search specifically and what we were addressing back in February when we stopped showing results for vaccine-related searches was that search is a recommendation surface. And so what you see in search results, regardless of platform, is not random. There are algorithms that decide what is relevant and what should be at the top. If we are implicitly saying, hey, this misinformation is relevant, That is not us being responsible as a platform. And so we took that bold step on vaccines specifically because there is such a public health risk to the spread of vaccine misinformation, and we didn't want to be part of that. And I'd also, I I would challenge a little bit the notion that this is new because when you think of spam, or pornography. There are reasons why on major platforms you don't see pornography all over the place. Platforms have decided basically across the board that that is not content that they value, and so you don't see it. It's either been entirely removed or deprioritized. And so we believe if those decisions can be made about what the industry generally agrees is bad content, then why not about hateful or extremist content or vaccination misinformation or other health misinformation? So let me ask you a question that comes up about the balance between freedom of speech and public safety. The balance I don't think is as tense as with pornography, but for some reason with extremism, it seems harder to strike. So how do you address the question of whether you're violating free speech by preventing this content on Pinterest? This is one of my favorite things to talk about and favorite questions to get, because taking a step back, freedom of speech in the American context, which is usually how it's used because we're mostly American platforms, is a protection from the government. And it does not constrain the decisions of private companies. And I believe and our company believes that search is a recommendations surface should have a higher bar. And so we don't have 
the responsibility to distribute hateful content on the behalf of people. For something like hate speech, and I say this as a Black woman online who has been the subject of harassment because of my identity and as a person who's on the internet, using the freedom of speech argument is really, first of all, it doesn't apply to private companies. But second, there's speech that's being curtailed when people don't feel safe enough to be online. If we do want the maximum amount of speech and for people to be inspired and for people to engage with content on our platforms, there needs to be a level of safety there. I knew that Ifoma herself had been the target of a vicious trolling campaign by a right-wing outfit that opposed her work to free the platform from extremism. So I asked her about it. Well, it's recent and ongoing, and so I don't want to get into too many details, but I will say that it's a reminder for me and my work, and, and I hope for others, that the burden of addressing content and for dealing with harassment shouldn't be on the person who's harassed. And there are many platforms who still have policies that make it incredibly difficult to remove content that is targeting someone or make you re-engage with that content to then get it addressed. As someone who had to deal with that, it's hard to explain how difficult it is to see something nasty about you or a family member online and threatening, in fact, and then have to report each individual instance repeatedly or reach out to someone you know if you're lucky enough to know someone at a platform to get it addressed. It's exhausting. It's demoralizing. If anything comes out of this, I'd like for us as a platform and others to just incorporate empathy into the processes that are built for addressing this content. So oftentimes, my understanding, companies are doing this work on their own, but that that has risks, right? Boycotts and trolling that can be more intense for companies who are taking on hate by themselves. So what are thoughts you have about how the tech sector as a whole can do this work together rather than apart? Well, there's an existing model for this, and it was spam and fighting spam in the first few decades of the internet even being a thing. And I'm hoping that for content like this, the industry can apply that model. But in addition to just industry, as I said, there are organizations that are experts in this content and that are willing to and want to work with us as industry. I don't think that there will ever be one set of policies that every platform can adopt and enforce against consistently, but there are models for policies that address content like this. Uh, Change the Terms, an organization that I'm sure, or coalition that I'm sure you're aware of, has done a great job of setting out model policies and terms of service. And we've actually adopted a ton of the suggestions that they've had because we saw that there are areas where we had gaps and we could incorporate those learnings. We would love to share the learnings that we've gotten from them and our policy evolution with platforms our size or platforms who have similar types of content. But there currently isn't a setup for that. And so my hope is that we are able to come together and decide as an industry, this is not the kind of content that we want to 
host or distribute. And so we're willing to take ideas from each other and evolve. What are some specific, specific examples of those gaps? At the highest level, we'd always in our enforcement thought about hate speech and harassment as hateful activity because there's clearly a tie from the speech online to real world violence and real world harm. But even reframing it from Pinterest hate speech policy to Pinterest hateful activities policy is something that we pulled directly from Change the Terms and the terms that the model terms that they've put online and incorporated in every way throughout our policies so that for everything that was previously specifically about speech, we're also tying to real world harm. In addition, being connected to the coalition has been helpful because there are different members in the coalition who have specific expertise on like what are the trends in Islamophobic memes that you're seeing or from the ADL, the types of anti-Semitic memes or imagery that we're seeing, the symbols that white supremacists and other hate groups are using. And that's subject matter expertise that we don't have in-house. And so we're regularly asking for help from these organizations. And they've always been gracious and happy to. So I have to say it's really striking hearing you describe this work because it sounds so dynamic and so proactive, which for me contradicts so dramatically what people think about the Internet, which is that it works kind of passively and automatically and gets the answers just right. We have seen kind of how that has played out. And you're describing a path that requires whole teams doing work to steer the internet in this much better new direction. Have I got that right? Yes, I think that's exactly what we're going for. And again, I'll say that the model for this exists. Platforms do this all of the time with introducing new product features. There's a lot of work that goes into that. You don't just, a new feature doesn't just appear. There's a lot of testing. There's talking to outside experts sometimes. There's getting the feedback from a number of different teams. And so to think of this work as being separate from the fundamental work that we have as a platform is the wrong approach. If this is a secondary or tertiary concern, then what you're going to see is a rise in hateful activity and the ability to only be reactive because you don't have time to be proactive. Because especially for us as a smaller and scrappier team, we need to be on top of things so that we're not overwhelmed by them. And I think spam is such a salient uh, comparison point. The whole goal is not to end spam forever. That will never happen because people have incentives on the other side to continue sending out those emails. But the goal really is to increase the cost of it for the individual who's trying to share the information or to scam people. And that should be the same when addressing harmful content. It should be so difficult that they don't think of your platform first to come to because they know the content will be found and it'll be removed and their website will be blocked. And so when you increase the costs, it ends up not being a good option for the people who want to spread hate. A lot of people today looking at times when people have been radicalized online, when people have done really horrible things from what they've learned online, they feel like the internet, kind of the whole thing, has 
just taken the wrong direction. I wanted to ask Ifoma how we can answer that question and whether she thought that the internet itself can be fixed. I think it can be improved. I don't think this will ever stop being an issue for the industry to address because as long as there are people, there's going to be hateful activity and there will be people trying to use whatever means they can to spread hateful ideologies. And so vigilance is the way I like to think of our role. We have to constantly be looking out for the content and addressing it as we see it. That said, I think there's an opportunity for companies to be bolder and to make decisions that are in the best interests of their users and not just what is going to be the least painful thing to do, whether it relates to engagement on the platform or to blowback they're going to get from certain groups. And so I think there's space for folks, and we've seen this luckily for us with our decision on vaccine misinformation specifically, to be bold and to see what comes of it, but to know that you're being honest to yourself as a company and making the right decisions rather for your users. I then asked her the question we ask all of our guests. Is she an optimist or a pessimist about democracy's ability to handle the threat of extremism? I'm going to pick a third option and say that I'm realistic about it. The ways that hate is spread now are new because the technology is new, but the ideas are all pretty old. And so I think that our responsibility is to recognize that and to know our history and to address it accordingly. It will always be a battle between what is right and what is good and those who want to cause harm to specific groups. And so we need to not lose sight of that. Well, Ifoma Zoma, I want to thank you and your team for your leadership and your courage in bringing the internet in a whole new direction. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Ifoma Azoma is Public Policy and Social Impact Manager at Pinterest. Since this is the final episode of Overcoming Extremism, we thought we could end with the question that I asked all of our guests, with a question of whether they're optimistic or pessimistic about democracy's ability to overcome extremism. As you heard, the answers varied. They might have surprised you. They certainly did me. So I might as well turn the question on myself. Am I optimistic or pessimistic? The answer is, I'm an optimist. As hard as many of the experiences of Charlottesville were, I have deep confidence in a healthy democracy's ability to learn from and to overcome those very challenges. Democracy today is under assault from dangerous ancient demons that have been unleashed. Racism, prejudice, self-interest, rage. I saw that in the 50,000-person city of Charlottesville, 
And I see it today in the 300 million person country of the United States. Extremism can be daunting, terrifying, but for me, it means we must only fight harder for democratic norms and ideals and institutions, for the basic ideas of liberty and equality. The stakes are incredibly high. And as you've heard in these interviews, the struggle is very real. That was my experience in the hot seat in a city under siege. But as bad as the racism and the anti-Semitism and the clashes were, what I have learned during these conversations confirmed my own conclusion from my own experiences in Charlottesville that under stress, the values of democracy become more vivid and more powerful than ever before. And that is why I sincerely believe we will come out of this moment a better democracy than before. We will emerge more committed to pluralism, to anti-racism, to religious freedom, to defeating terrorism, and to fulfilling the promise of America's democratic experiment. That's how I feel. I'll leave it up to you to answer that question for yourself. To find out more about this project, including the organizations we feature, go to www.overcomingextremism.org. listening to Overcoming Extremism. Overcoming Extremism's partners include the Anti-Defamation League, the Fetzer Institute, the Charles Koch Institute, the Ford Foundation, Lowell and Eileen Aptman through the Soros Fund Charitable Foundation, the John Pritzker Foundation, Comcast, NBC Universal, Democracy Fund, New America, Georgetown University's Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection, the Aspen Institute's Justice and Society Program, and Defending Democracy Together. Overcoming Extremism was produced in Charlottesville, Virginia. Our producer is Elliot Majerzyk. The opening theme was created by Poddington Bear, and Elliot composed and produced the musical interludes and the closing music. I'm Mike Signer. Thanks for listening.